Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And today we will be discussing uh, mental health uh, in children in uh, Lebanon after the August 4th uh, Beirut explosion. And we have two special guests uh, today, Dr. Lilian Gandour, who is Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the American University of Beirut and is, has and has been involved in multiple uh, trials and research involving uh, child mental health in uh, Lebanon, uh, particularly. And uh, we've got Dr. Fadi Malouf, who is the chairman of the psychiatry department at the American University of Beirut Medical Center, associate professor of psychiatry there, and a prominent uh, child psychiatrist in uh, Lebanon and the region. And uh, today, particularly, we will be uh, discussing a recent uh, trial that they uh, just published in the Journal of Affective Disorders, Anxiety, Depression, and PTSD in Children and Adolescents Following the Beirut Port Explosion. Uh, Welcome, uh, Lillian, and welcome, Fadi. Thank you, Khalil. Thank you. Thank you, Khalil. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you too and to see you again, uh, both of you. So I'm going to start first with describing that that the magnitude of that day, the magnitude of the day when uh, the Beirut explosion uh, happened. Uh, maybe uh, Dr. Ghanduri can maybe start first uh, discussing that. Sure. Um, so on August the 4th, 2020, um, Lebanon and the world actually experienced uh, one of the largest non-nuclear explosions um, in history. Uh, that's what ha- it has been described as um, over the media. That's exactly how we felt it was, um, leaving a lot of um, uh, casualties, injuries, and uh, people displaced from their homes. Um, and even those that weren't actually uh, in the country or in Beirut at the time uh, were negatively affected by, by this uh, catastrophe. So the magnitude was actually felt uh, beyond uh, the territories of Lebanon and the region. And uh, I think we were all there at the time and and witnessed witnessed that uh, big day. So what what areas, because, I mean, Beirut is, I mean, it's not a very big city, but there were certain areas of Beirut that were affected uh, more than others. Uh, So what areas of Beirut were affected uh, the most by that explosion? Uh, And was it close to AUBMC, Dr. Malouf? So, you know, the explosion took took place uh, around the port area and uh, the districts of Beirut that are closest to the port were uh, most affected. Uh, at, a- at AUBMC, we saw you know, shattered glass. We uh, definitely felt uh, the huge impact, but most importantly, unfortunately, you know, around 200 citizens uh, lost their life uh, during, uh, due to the blast. And uh, more than um, 6,000 individuals got injured. And uh, around um, 300,000 people uh, were left homeless uh, after uh, the blast. Uh, So it was a a disaster uh, and a catastrophe for the people of Beirut in that sense. And, and I think, I don't know if you both agree with me, we can say probably that uh, areas of high and low socioeconomic statuses were affected equally uh, by this blast because it, it affected both these areas at the time. Although so we can you... talk more later on about the, the fact that actually the most disadvantaged were the most affected. But uh, I agree with you and the data does show that everyone was affected. Uh, you know, those that were disadvantaged, but also the, the, the people that uh, perceived themselves to be more affluent um, socioeconomically. So everyone was affected, but definitely the poor and the disadvantaged were more, more and more affected. And I'm sure, uh, Dr. Malouf, you started seeing... Uh 
patients uh, after the blast with, especially kids probably with uh, psychological problems related to the blast. So how did the idea uh, of the study uh, come about uh, and how did you decide to proceed uh, with looking at the questionnaires and, uh, and, and looking at the data for the study? So maybe I'll, I'll I'll tell you about the background for the study, and Dr. Gandur can share uh, with you uh, our findings and and data. Uh, so definitely, you know, shortly after the blast, uh, we were inundated by phone calls from uh, people uh, who uh, needed uh, help, psychological help, psychiatric help, whether adults or children. As a department, we had uh, several uh, initiatives in that regard. One of them was. Uh, to develop a uh, trauma uh, assessment and uh, uh, treatment uh, service uh, for uh, free for uh, the people who were impacted by the blast. Uh, the initiative was called TASC, T-A-S-C, which stands for Trauma Assessment and Support Clinic. Uh, so this clinic was staffed by members of the department on a volunteering basis, whether trainees or uh, faculty or staff. Uh, so this is on the clinical uh, front. Uh, as we started seeing uh, people clinically, we wanted to also understand what the numbers are and uh, you know how people were impacted and uh, what's the profile of the individuals who were impacted. Hence uh, the idea of this uh, research study, which was a collaboration between the Faculty of Medicine and the Faculty of Health Sciences uh, represented here by uh, Dr. Lillian Gandur, who's a long-term collaborator. Uh, Dr. Gandur and our department, and specifically myself, have been collaborating for more than a decade now, looking at the burden and uh, the prevalence of uh, mental disorders uh, in, in Lebanon and uh, children and adolescents. So, uh, you know, we got together and uh, we decided to uh, conduct the study to better understand the numbers and, and better estimate the need uh, down the road and plan uh, for service delivery. Uh, so uh, this uh, today we're focusing on the child study, but there was also an adult study that was conducted in parallel. For the child study, it was uh, more of a what we call cross-sectional study, uh, and it was uh, an online interview or uh, questionnaires, uh, several questionnaires uh, that were filled by parents of uh, children who were impacted uh, by or exposed, I'm sorry, uh, to uh, the blast. And by exposed here, we kept the definition a little wide, so you could have been directly exposed or uh, indirectly exposed by uh, hearing about it from uh, other people or seeing it on uh, the screens. Uh, maybe Dr. Landur can uh, you know, share with us more about the actual questionnaires that were used and uh, what the data showed. Right, right, Dr. Gandur. So uh, I, I saw that you use questionnaires for anxiety, questionnaires for PTSD and for depression. So how did you come up with the choice of questionnaires uh, that were used? And then uh, what, uh, what children uh, were targeted? Like which areas were targeted? Was it only the areas close to Beirut or was it also areas uh, that were outside Beirut too? Okay, thank you, uh, Khalil. And I want to uh, sort of... Uh stress on the idea and the importance of uh, having a, a collaborative uh, sense of uh, a collaborative team already set up because that's what made it possible to actually immediately put together this study 
and be able to make that assessment within three to four months immediately after the blast. And the reason it took this much time was not to put together the team, but to put together the study, the, you know, the methodology, and to obviously get IRB approval because we needed the institutional review board's approval, which took some time. But the fact that we had this team already working together for so many years actually really speeded up uh, the process of documenting assessment and, document, and documentation. Um, in terms of the choice of the questionnaires, that's a very good question from an epidemiological point of view. And again, we were lucky that we had access to uh, Arabic validated instruments. Uh, what we mean by that is that um, often, uh, you know, there are tools that are ready for use, but that have not been uh, uh, contextualized or maybe assessed for validity within the context uh, of an Arabic speaking population or within the context of Lebanon per se. So what we ended up obviously choosing are the tools that have been validated in the Arabic uh, language and that have been used uh, by our team and others um, in, in other epidemiological surveys. So uh, we used uh, uh, the uh, SCARED uh, uh, tool, which, is an, uh, which helps you. So just to make, uh, to make it clear that all of these tools are screening tools. So they don't come up with definitive diagnoses as a clinician would, but they would help you uh, basically uh, tell what percentage of the population would have a probable diagnosis of depression, a probable diagnosis of PTSD, and a probable diagnosis of uh, uh, anxiety. So for depression, we use the mood and feelings questionnaire, which is the MFQ um, questionnaire, which is, like I mentioned before, is Arabic validated and has been used by our team before. We used for the anxiety symptoms to screen for anxiety symptoms, the SCARED questionnaire. And for PTSD, we use the CRIS-13. Um, and um, I'll be sharing with you the findings in a bit. But uh, again, uh, these are tools that would allow you to screen for probable diagnoses and identify the at-risk children and adolescents in the population. And all these tools are validated uh, in the Arabic language too. Yes, 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 yes. And have been used by our team before and have been used by other researchers in the region as well. Yes. Right. And so when you started targeting uh, or talking to families uh, using these tools, which areas were most targeted? Were there more areas that were more targeted than others too? Okay. So yes, you had mentioned that. So we, we targeted, so what we did was this was an online survey. So uh, technically, um, as you can imagine, uh, oh, you know, Lebanon at the time was experiencing multiple crises. We were also experiencing in parallel uh, the financial uh, crisis, but also the COVID pandemic. So uh, the country was on lockdown on and off. So we had to uh, basically use uh, the online methodology to try to reach uh, as many participants as possible. What we did is we uh, um, circulated the link uh, on various social media platforms, uh, institutional and personal, uh, and multiple different social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts, and also WhatsApp messages on groups, et cetera. So what we try to do is also try to um, diversify, diversify the population that we are reaching by also making sure that the tool is available in Arabic and in English so that the participant, the parents, when filling the questionnaire may choose to either fill it in English or in Arabic based on the language of their own preference and ease of use. And we targeted parents of children who had children between eight to 17 and each parent may could have filled the questionnaire to on more than one child. So uh, if, for example, a parent had three children between the age of eight and 17 and wished to fill the questionnaire for all three, ch three uh, children, 
the instrument, the questionnaire allowed for that. So that's a good thing. So that we didn't have to, because we went back and forth, if you remember Dr. Malouf, about you know the choice of which child to choose, whether if we chose randomly, what if you know we left out the child that had, for example, um, the most uh, mental health distress. So, um, and in terms of the districts, because you mentioned the districts, we did not target specific districts. We actually made it, uh, we, we opened it to all of Lebanon. So, uh, uh, sorry, yes, to all of Lebanon. And so basically, but then we ended up uh, categorizing the districts as such. So for example, district one was the district that was uh, the nearest to the port. So it included, for example, areas such as the port, Mdawar, Ermel, and Saifi. And then we had district two, for example, that was more like Mina al-Husn's al-Blad, Bishura, and so District 3 was further apart, uh, further uh, farthest from the explosion site, and then obviously uh, those who were not in Beirut at the time were a, a separate category. Right, and uh, so so uh, you did the questionnaires and then you, uh, what what was the data that you got? What were the, I, I was surprised, I mean the rates were pretty high, rates of anxiety, yes. PTSD, and depression were pretty high in the study, so can you tell us about what the rates were, and also if there's data on what the rates were by district or by how far uh, away the individuals were uh, from the explosion site. Uh, so the, the, the rates were, uh, yes, um, quite shockingly high. But again, this is a screening tool, uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, we're, you know, that this, uh, you know, not a substantial proportion, we're actually experiencing mental health distress. But just to give you an example, uh, a third were screened with a probable uh, depression. A third of the children and adolescents aged between eight to 17 were screened with probable depression. About half were screened with probable PTSD. And, um, a higher percentage was around two thirds were uh, screened with anxiety, according to the, uh, the scared uh, um, validated tool. Um, now, in terms of uh, these percentages, uh, let's just say let's just say the further you were away, the lower the percentages were. Uh, that doesn't mean that those who were farthest away did not experience because the numbers were still high for those who were further away and even not in Beirut, which again reflects the fact that the impact transcended a physical territory. So even those who were not physically there were uh, mentally affected, but clearly those who were closest to the port were the most affected. Okay. And one more question. So the ones closest to the port or even the ones further away, uh, was there a difference in rates based on uh, socioeconomic status of the families uh, at the time? Yes. So in a way, the, the, the areas closest to the port are also kind of the areas that were most disadvantaged and the poorest. So we also found uh, uh, the same linear trend. So the the what we the way we measured um, socioeconomic status, because I'm sure you you know that it's a very difficult indicator to capture accurately. So what we said, what we asked, what we're normally asking these days is asking people to self report how they perceive themselves compared to others in their community, whether they perceive themselves to be a lot poorer, a little poorer, about the same as most, a little richer or a lot richer. So this is basically a self-perception. And we feel that, and the research has shown that this is quite a, a good indicator when we're trying to capture socioeconomic status or self-perceived socioeconomic status in one 
you know, in one or two questions. Otherwise, we would have to administer a scale and an index to be able to do it more accurately. And so, again, what we found is that people who self-perceive themselves to be among the poorest uh, compared to the richer uh, population are the ones that were most effective. So the, uh, affected. So the estimates were actually higher among the disadvantaged poor. And, and do you think, one question I had actually is, do you think that the COVID pandemic and the financial crisis had contributory ro roles with this? Like, were, were the rates also high because of other factors, not just the explosion itself? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, I can tell you clinically what we're seeing, but in terms of uh, research, I don't think we've conducted the study, we've designed it in a way to be able to tease out the impact of the COVID pandemic uh, the blast and uh, all of these uh, stressors, unfortunately, that overlap or happen at the same time. So I think from a research perspective, it would be very difficult to design a study and look at the isolated effect of the blast versus the cumulative effect of all the other stressors. But I can tell you clinically, you know, definitely it depends, I think, on the person so, or the individual, some individuals that we're seeing in the clinic, some children that we're seeing in the clinic appear to be more impacted by uh, the pandemic uh, per se. So they either lost someone due to COVID. I have children who lost their parents to COVID or their grandparents, and now they're struggling with uh, either grief or illness, anxiety. Uh, some people were impacted by losing friends to immigration due to uh, the economic crisis. So this is, you know, the, whatever social support or peer support they used to have uh, at school. Now they're finding themselves without uh, their close friends or close social circle. And this is also causing additional uh, mental health problems. And we're seeing also... Uh, people impacted the, the, uh, by the blast presenting late. So I've had kids who presented a year or 14 months after uh, the blast, uh, either because their parents were not sure that this is the um, mental health impact of the blast or uh, because they were uh, triggered by the first anniversary uh, in August, 2021. Right, uh, right, right. Uh, Again, I think, uh, if yeah. I may, uh, as an epidemiologist, I mean, I would just want to stress the point that was made by Dr. Malouf that ideally we would want to address or try to investigate the impact of these different stressors, because like I said, Lebanon is undergoing multiple crises. We, you know, we were even called quadruple crisis. We've had multiple different crises happen in parallel. Um, and as, as an epidemiologist, one would want to maybe try to isolate the impact, but the truth is it's very difficult. It's very difficult. And so it all matriculates at the end of the day to, for example, job loss uh, or uh, loss of financial security or, you know, so these are the sort of the main sort of proximal uh, indicators that are ultimately impacting one's mental health and one's um, livelihood. Um, but again, at the end of the day, what really matters is the impact of all of these, right? So instead of spending time trying to uh, understand, you know, how, you know, the um, the synergistic effects of all these, you know, at the end of the day, what we will talk about this, uh, you know, a little further down the line, but, you know, sort of what is needed to make sure that they have the right uh, response system um, and knowing that, you know, regardless of how it happened right now, we have a substantial uh, proportion of, uh, you know, children and adolescents that need help, that require care and that need, uh, you know, um, a source of support for management of their symptoms. 
Right, right. And I agree. I think I think we, we could have missed even some of the, I mean, a lot of the kids were impacted, but to different levels, I guess, because I can say I can give my experience, for example, my older daughter, when we visit Beirut now, because she was there when this happened, she she doesn't want to stay in Beirut. She wants to stay up in the mountains. She's always worried there's yeah. going to be an And explosion. my five-year-old still calls it the tornado and worries about another tornado because the window is too open um, at the time of right. the blast. So in his mind, as a four-year-old, this was a tornado. So Dr. Maruf, does, does this, do these numbers correlate like with what you've been seeing in clinic? That's number one. Number two, do you feel that the numbers hopefully are uh, going down with time now uh, that we're about uh, closer to two years out uh, from that event? So uh, the, the numbers, uh, when compared to numbers uh, after other uh, global disasters or disasters that happened elsewhere, uh, for example, World Trade Center, uh, 9-11 or other disasters are quite elevated. Uh, the number for uh, of anxiety disorders is quite shocking. So two-thirds uh, of kids who were exposed did screen uh, positive for an anxiety disorder. And this is definitely what we're seeing in clinic. I'm seeing a lot of kids presenting with different kinds of anxiety disorders. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, school refusals at the beginning of the school year. Uh, kids who are worried to go to school uh, because of, uh, I mean, that is the issue of the pandemic, but some kids are also worried about their parents and uh, about their own safety. Something uh, bad would happen when they're at school or something bad would happen uh, to their parents when they're at school. So uh, they're developing this, you know, nausea, headaches every morning uh, or the night before, and uh, they're not able to go because of uh, overwhelming anxiety. So we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of... Uh, Kids with uh, different somatic complaints, uh, they undergo, you know, investigations with their pediatricians, their gastroscopies, endoscopies, etc., and nothing is there. And turns out it's anxiety. We're seeing a lot of panic, panic recurrent panic attacks and uh, uh, anxiety attacks. So uh, definitely on the anxiety uh, part, we are our clinics are full with kids with unfortunately anxiety disorders. The PTSD we're not seeing much uh, of it, so it's either they did not present for care uh, or for treatment, or that the number uh, have been numbers have been going down uh, since uh, the blast. I would say the anxiety numbers, uh, the number uh, of anxiety disorders is uh, constant, still elevated, um, but probably the numbers for PTSD and depression, clinically at least, my impression, may be going down. But, you know, if you, uh, it would be ideal to do a follow-up study. I think Dr. Randur would, would, would like that, a follow-up study on the same uh, sample uh, or a similar sample and uh, see what's happening to these numbers. All right, Dr. Randur, you've got some work to do. Yep. <laughs> Khalil, if I may add, actually, with you, the percentage of people who reported seeking mental health treatment. So we also asked them about whether they sought any mental health uh, treatment after the blast. And um, two thirds didn't, actually. So only one third reported uh, seeking mental health uh, support. We asked them whether the support was actually a professional or a non-professional. Um, so again, um, and what we found is that those who had... Uh, you know, those who did seek mental health treatment are those who had experienced uh, or who had a, li a higher likelihood of uh, uh, being screened for depression, PTSD, 
and anxiety. Um, and so again, it seemed to us that uh, our conclusions were basically that maybe, most likely actually, not maybe, uh, these uh, individuals were seeking treatment on an individual basis. Um, and uh, what we hope for in the future is to have sort of a more blanket intervention to make sure that everyone, regardless of risk of developing mental health problems, receives some kind of mental health support because everyone needs it and not necessarily only those who are screened for probable depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Right. And, and, and on, that, on that note, so what, what, are, what are some of the services that are available for uh, kids in Lebanon right now? Because I think Obviously, probably financial uh, constraints may be a factor in preventing people from seeking help. But are there services available for, let's say, very little money or free uh, to help these kids out? So, you know, Khalil, you're familiar with our OPD system here. So uh, as as part of our uh, services, uh, we do have the private services, but we also have subsidized uh, services that are part of what we call uh, OPD, which is outpatient department. Uh, So we do offer uh, psychotherapy uh, treatment and uh, psychiatric uh, treatment under psychotherapy. There are different types of psychotherapies that our therapists uh, do uh, offer to uh, children and their families, ranging from what we call trauma-focused CBT, which is the most evidence-based psychotherapeutic interventions, uh, for uh, kids with PTSD or post-traumatic events, um, and uh, what is known also as narrative exposure therapy, which is typically conducted with younger kids, uh, and also focusing on addressing uh, the issue of the trauma. Uh, there is also, you know, psychiatric uh, interventions. Some kids may need medications, but most of them do not. Uh, And we do uh, family interventions uh, with our case managers. We connect them sometimes with uh, local uh, services. We coordinate with the school to help provide accommodations for kids who have uh, been having difficulties, uh, difficulty going to school. Uh, That being said, I don't think we're the only uh, place that provides subsidized uh, or care for uh, at a subsidized uh, fee. There are other NGOs uh, also in Beirut. Uh, some of them are focused on mental health uh, or uh, healthcare in general uh, that provide also uh, services, either free of charge or at a subsidized uh, rate. And but, but basically, most of the services that are available, the, the families and the kids probably seek seek the service and uh, not the other way around, where NGOs go into the community and and assess for the need for services, right? It's mostly sought out by the families of the kids. Am I correct? So uh, this is very important and it's a a distinct difference between uh, what we observed here and uh, what was done elsewhere. So as Dr. Gandur mentioned, in our study, we showed that uh, kids who did seek help are the ones uh, who, or the kids who received help were at higher uh, risk to develop uh, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. If you look at, uh, at the data from the uh, 9-11, uh, for example, uh, disaster, uh, you see also you, it's the other way around. So people who received help were at lower risk to develop uh, uh, mental health problems. Why is that? Because the intervention over there was uh, done uh, in a preventive manner. So everybody did receive an intervention. 
And so if you were at a risk to develop a uh, disorder, uh, the intervention helped mitigate that risk. So because you received the intervention, now you're at a lower risk to develop a disorder. In our uh, part of the world, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. As you said, uh, uh, I, I, I don't think efforts were properly deployed to uh, offer these preventive uh, interventions to the population uh, who was exposed. Uh, people individually sought help because they were in distress or because they had symptoms. So whoever got help, it was because they were suffering, unfortunately. So I think this is an important uh, distinction. Right. Uh, from yeah, public and, health. Right. And, and I think we, we mentioned the kids, but I think we also need to mention the parents too, because probably the parents were as affected as the kids that I think this is evident in the other parallel study that was published on yeah. the same topic, right? Yes. So, so it would have been ideal to link the parents to the children in the same study, uh, but uh, that would have uh, created a research burden on the families. So we ended up uh, doing a parallel study on adults that showed pretty much very high um, negative mental health impact on the parents as well, on the adults as well. Um, I just uh, wanted to add one thing that as you were as we're talking about the mental health response and services, um, we had uh, what we ended up doing as extra analysis was also looking at whether socioeconomic status, self-reported socioeconomic status would still stand out after controlling for all the blast related factors. Because as, as I had mentioned, you know, proximity played a, played a role, uh, uh, losing or uh, experiencing major damages to the home played a role, um, experiencing uh, injury or death in the family played a role. And also, so uh, what we did was we did a further analysis that actually controlled for all of these blast related factors, in addition to the sociodemographic characteristics and still SES came out as an independent predictor of mental health, which, you know, this could be a, a whole other podcast on its own, trying to understand the mechanisms linking SES to mental health. But what it means on the short run and from a mental health response perspective is that any mental health response should give uh, an immediate and, uh, and greater attention most likely to those most disadvantaged financially, because these are the ones that were actually most negatively affected by the blast uh, or by the explosion. Uh, even after controlling for where they live, um, you know what they have experienced, what they have witnessed, and their various socio-demographic characteristics. So this is, I felt that it was important to shed light on this, that really the people that are most in need were the most affected, and that's why we need to be dispatching uh, uh, you know, a faster response system for this group. For this group, people, right, right. And so, uh, the, was this discussion like, uh, what do you think are the long-term effects of this on the kids' mental health uh, when they grow to become adults, uh, Dr. Maruf? So, so, so luckily, uh, we do have a resilient brain, and uh, you know, showing symptoms, especially not as a uh, part of a diagnosis, but you know, showing clinically significant symptoms, which our study did uh, look into, uh, does not necessarily mean that you're gonna live with a psychiatric disorder for the rest of your life. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that most of these kids would outgrow whatever uh, clinical symptoms uh, they had after the blast. Uh, but there are certain uh, things that would uh, help predict a better prognosis. 
so uh, receiving intervention, I think, is key. So if kids are uh, suffering and uh, do exhibit certain symptoms, uh, the um, more chronic these symptoms become, the more likely uh, they uh, are to uh, last uh, later on in life. So that's why my, my message to families and parents you know, if you're seeing, uh, if your child is complaining, or if you are noticing that your child is manifesting behavioral or emotional uh, difficulties, it's important to seek help because early intervention is key to predict uh, long-term uh, outcomes. Uh, now, in addition to, uh, you know, early intervention, I think severity of symptoms is another predictor. So if you're uh, having, uh, low mood and not sleeping well and you screened high on depression as a result is one thing but if you're having suicidal ideations as part of your depression uh, symptoms uh, definitely then your symptoms are more severe and you may uh, be at a higher rate for recurrence uh, down the road as as an adult uh, so severity of symptoms not receiving care proper care uh, i think are the two most important predictors of how these kids are gonna uh, fear uh, in the long run. And if I may add, uh, Khalil, I mean, we are living in a context, whether regionally or locally, <laughs> of, yeah, and this is not, you know, surprising that Lebanon would experience, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, a traumatic event as such. I mean, in, in, in magnitude, it was, it was much, much bigger than we had ever maybe experienced. But in reality, we are living in a in a context with political instability, uh, insecurity, and uh, and given the history of Lebanon, I think there is a need. In addition to all these uh, services that Dr. Malouf has spoken about, there needs to be uh, a proactive emergency mental health response. Um, because right now, the children that have been—I uh, mean, fortunately—they don't need that. This doesn't mean that those who have been exposed are necessarily going to develop disorders but that puts them at a higher risk of developing disorders now that they have been exposed to such a traumatic, huge traumatic event. And so if they are disadvantaged, they are at a higher risk. If they have been exposed, that they are... Now imagine those who are disadvantaged financially and have uh, been exposed to such a traumatic event. These are what we call in public health at the you know, high risk populations. And so these high risk populations in the event of experiencing any kind of additional uh, you know, traumatic event are at a high risk of developing uh, a disorder. And so for this reason, we can't sit on the side and, you know, wait for another catastrophe to happen to start talking again about the importance of documentation of this data and informing uh, a sort of an emergency mental health response. We do have at the national level, a national mental health strategy. And I believe that under that um, umbrella, there needs to be a concerted coordinated effort including uh, clinicians, public health professionals, academicians, epidemiologists, etc., to try to make sure that there is an emergency mental health response for children and adolescents and their parents and adults in, an, in the event of such, or maybe hopefully uh, a smaller magnitude uh, you know, event happens uh, to make sure that we have the right, you know, response and, you know, right response for these individuals. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks to both of you for conducting the study. I mean, it's it's, it's eye opening just to see the numbers of kids who are affected by uh, what's happening or what has happened in uh, Lebanon, especially the blast. And hopefully, it will stimulate uh, a discussion on a, a better emergency mental health response uh, to be proactive in case 
uh, something else happens and and hopefully not hopefully nothing will happen uh, like this in the future in Lebanon uh, thank you very much thank, thank you, thank you uh, for highlighting uh, the study and the findings and uh, for doing this uh, podcast it's uh, although you know we are in Lebanon I'm uh, close follower of your uh, <laughs> Enjoy. Thanks. Thank you.